Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Haggai. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Thank you, James. Thank you to our praise team, our instrumentalists. Thank you for all your work in leading us to the throne each and every Lord's Day. Today's the second of seven sermons that we are preaching from the book of Haggai, Lord willing. Last week we gave a little background to the book, and I want to briefly review some of that for those who were not here or for those who have slept a few times since then. In 586 BC, God allowed the kingdom of Babylon to destroy the city of Jerusalem, including the temple, and carry thousands of Jews away captive. However, in 538 BC, a new ruler, Cyrus the Great, conquered Babylon and allowed the Jews to return home. Not only did he allow them to return home, but he actually commanded them to rebuild the temple of God. And you might ask, well, why would Cyrus care if the Jews rebuilt the temple? He wasn't a follower of their God. The book of Ezra tells us that God commanded Cyrus to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Now, Cyrus didn't have a personal relationship with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but one thing he did know was that whoever that God was, he was powerful, and he wanted that God on his side. (laughs) And so if that God told him to rebuild the temple, then he was going to make sure that temple was rebuilt. But isn't it amazing how God causes all things to fall into place according to his will? Not only did Cyrus allow this rebuilding to take place, he even offered to fully fund the project. So the Jews returned home. They began rebuilding the temple. They poured the foundation. They set up the altar. And then, as we learned last Sunday, the work just stopped. To make a long story short, some of their neighbors didn't want the temple to be rebuilt. They worked against it, and they got their way. And the temple just sat there unfinished for 16 years. The temple that God commanded them to build and gave them everything they needed to complete just sat there as an eyesore and as a testimony of the people's disobedience and as a testimony of their lack of faith in God. This is where Haggai enters the picture. God raises up the prophet Haggai to challenge the people to renew the vision, to be obedient, and to finish the task that God had given them. In chapter 1 and verse 8, which we looked at last Sunday, God tells the people through Haggai, go up to the mountains, bring wood, and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. And that's basically where we left off last time. Last time we left off with the question, what will the people do? Will they obey the voice of the Lord? Will they heed the words of Haggai and start building the temple again? Or will they continue to be disobedient and say, well, it's just not the right time? So let's begin reading and let's see what the people's response will be. The title of today's sermon is God abides where he is obeyed. Let's start by reading verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. 
and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. This morning, we're going to derive three summary statements from this text that we'll be looking at. And here's the first statement. Statement number one is simply this. The people obeyed. That's what we see in verse 12. The people obeyed. A moment ago, we posed the question, what will the people's response be to the word of the Lord? And here in verse 12, we get our answer. It says, the governor and the high priest and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Well, isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. It's a joyous occasion when a person or a group of people repent of their sin and come out of their disobedience to follow after God. And you know, our God is a God of great mercy, and he is a God of great love, and he always stands ready to forgive us and to welcome us home if we are willing to forsake our sin and to follow him. You say, Josh, I don't know if that applies to me. I've been in sin for a long time. Listen, the Israelites were disobedient to God for 16 years. And yet, as soon as they repented, he restored them and he forgave them. It's never too late to turn back to God. It's never too late to restart whatever task, whatever mission it is that he's given to you in your life. It's never too late to live for him and to serve him and to obey his commandments. And you can have a new start today through the power of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three quick observations I want to make in relation to verse 12. We'll move through these quickly. Here they are. Number one, observation number one, the story of the Israelites not rebuilding the temple reminds us that there are two categories of sin. There are sins of both commission and sins of omission. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are some sins that we commit by doing something that we flatly know is wrong. These are sins of commission. When we lie, when we steal, when we do anything intentionally to sin, that's a sin of commission. But there are other sins we commit by not doing something that we know is right. These are sins of omission. For instance, when the Israelites did not rebuild the temple of God as he had commanded, they committed the sin of omission. When you and I disobey God by refusing to do something he has told us to do, it is just as wicked as if we did some horrible thing that we were not supposed to do. And this is where I ask you the question, what is God telling you to do? What is God commanding you to do, both through his word and through the leading of his Holy Spirit, that you are refusing to obey? I can't say what that is for you, but whatever that is, I would exhort you this morning not to wait 16 years to obey the Lord. Rather, obey him today, and he will bless you for it. Observation number two, I want you to note from verse 12 that obedience starts with leadership. That verse makes a special point of saying that Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, obeyed the voice of the Lord, along with the remnant of the people. In other words, the rest of the people followed their leader's example. And dear Christian, if you want the people under your authority and under your care to be obedient to God, then you must set the example. You must be obedient to God. Pastor, deacon, 
small group leader, team leader, if you want the people you're leading to be obedient to God, let them first see obedience modeled in your life. For those of you who have people under you at work, do you want to be a witness of Christ to them? Do you want to see them come to saving faith in Christ and be obedient to God? Let them see your obedience to God on a daily basis. Dear parent, mom and dad, do you want your children to live lives of obedience to God? Grandparent, do you want your grandchild to live a life of obedience to God? It starts with you. You must lead. Do as I say and not as I do is not a recipe for success. Whatever your patterns are for serving God will likely become your children's patterns. If the Lord and his church is not a priority for you, it almost certainly will not be for your kids. May our children see us model obedience so that they too will desire a life of service to the Lord. Obedience starts with leadership. Observation number three. I want us to see in verse 12 that obedience to God and fear of God go hand in hand. That phrase, fear of God, is one that I think we sometimes strip of its full intent and meaning when we really shouldn't. Sometimes, particularly when we're dealing with kids, we don't want them to be afraid of God in the sense that they're afraid to pray to Him or afraid to worship Him. So we say, well, that phrase, fear of God, that we see over and over in Scripture, really just means that you're supposed to respect God. And that's not entirely wrong, but fearing God is a little more than that as well. To fear God, as that phrase is used in Scripture, is to have a profound sense of awe and a profound sense of reverence for who God is and for His power. And certainly respect is part of that, but so is the knowledge that God is all-powerful, that He is holy, that he is just, that he brought us into this world, to borrow a phrase from an 80s sitcom, he brought us into this world and he can take us out, right? That knowledge then, that, that holy fear of God, along with the love that he displays toward us, compels us to obey him. To state it another way, where there is fear of God, where there is a reverence for his name, there will be obedience. In contrast, where there's a flippant attitude toward God and a lack of fear and a lack of reverence for him, there will be disregard for his word and there will be disobedience to his commands. So may we be people, may we be a church that fears the Lord and reveres him as he deserves. We see in verse 12, obedience to God and fear of God go hand in hand. All right, let's move on to our next verse and our next statement now. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Here's the second summary statement. When the people obeyed, God showed up. When the people obeyed, God showed up. The Lord spoke only four words to the people through Haggai in this verse, but they are four of the most important words that any of us could ever hear. I am with you. Once the leaders and the people made up their minds that they were going to follow the Lord, that they were going to obey him, God blessed them with his presence and by implication, his power upon the task that was set before them. 
There's a principle we see in this verse that really is the central theme of today's sermon. I stated it at the beginning. And that is that God abides where he is obeyed. Very simply, if we want God's presence in our life, if we want God's presence in our marriage, if we want God's presence in our family, if we want God's presence in our church, then we must be committed to obeying his word. God abides where he is obeyed. Remember what God told the people last week in verse 6. To paraphrase that verse, he said, you're spinning your wheels. Your needs aren't being met. Your money's disappearing. It's going into a bag with holes in it. All because you are being disobedient. As a rule, the blessings of God follow obedience. We cannot and must not expect God to bless us with his presence and with his power if we're living in rebellion, if we're living in disobedience. Now, please understand, when I talk about God's presence in this way, I'm referring to the fullness of his presence, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19. In that verse, the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Just to clarify, if you're a Christian, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, Brother James said this a moment ago, the presence of the Holy Spirit will never completely depart from you. You're you're sealed by the Spirit, right? God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You are his child. But I would submit to you that there's a difference between merely possessing the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And the point is that if you're a Christian living in disobedience to the Lord, you will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will not experience the fullness of God's presence in your life. And if you're truly a Christian living in disobedience, the fact is you're going to be miserable. When we don't have the fullness of God in our life, we forfeit the joy of our salvation. We forfeit our fellowship with the Lord, not our relationship, but our fellowship. And we forfeit many, many blessings. Do you want to feel close to God? Do you want to feel his manifest presence in your life? Do we want the fullness of God's presence in our church? God abides where he is obeyed. When the people obeyed, that's when God showed up. When the people set their minds to do the mission, the work that God had given them to do, that's when God said, all right, now I am with you. All right, let's read our last two verses for this morning. Verses 14 and 15. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Here's the third summary statement for this morning. When God showed up, Things started happening. I love how verse 14 puts it when it says that God stirred up the spirit of the governor. He stirred up the spirit of the high priest. He stirred up the spirit of all the people. In other words, God did something supernatural in their hearts to provoke them and to energize them to complete the task they had started so long ago in rebuilding the temple. Verse 14 says, They came and worked on the house of the Lord. 
That phrase, stirred up the spirit in the Hebrew, actually means to rouse. It means to awaken. It was as if the Israelites had been slumbering all this time. They'd been asleep, and now the Spirit of God is waking them up, and they're coming to life again. I don't know about you, but I need this kind of awakening in my own heart, in my own life. To my shame, there are times when I get dull and sleepy in my faith. Furthermore, Selmore Baptist Church needs this kind of awakening. The church all over the world needs this kind of awakening. We need revived. We need renewed. We need to be energized by the Spirit of God. We need our souls stirred to complete the task that he has given us. Now, Israel's task in this text was to rebuild the temple. Our task as the church is not to build any building, but to make disciples, to take the gospel to our neighborhood and to the nations to share and to show the, new, the good news of Jesus Christ in all the world. But here's the point. We can't carry out this mission in our own strength. We need the power of God. We desperately need the Holy Spirit to stir our soul and to awaken our heart as he did in the, to the Israelites in the days of Haggai. We need God to show up. But as we've said, God shows up where he is obeyed. God shows up where he is revered. There can be no revival where there is not a commitment to obedience. Again, God abides where he is obeyed. And when God does show up, look out, because exciting things are going to happen. If you're here today and you're like, Josh, I don't I don't have the presence and the power and, and the peace of God in my life. I would say to you, it could be for one of two reasons. Number one, you're not truly a Christian. You've never genuinely turned from your sin and put your faith in Christ. Or number two, you are a Christian, but you're living in disobedience to God. Either way, if either of those scenarios describe you, that can be rectified today. If you're not a Christian... Turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you cry out to Jesus right now, he'll save you and he'll give you eternal life. If you're here today and you are a Christian, but you're living in disobedience, there's an area of your life that you've kept shielded from the Lordship of Jesus Christ and held on to for your own selfish reasons. It's very simple. Repent of your sin. Give it over to the Lord. Confess it to him. And his word says he'll forgive you and he will cleanse you and he will give you a fresh start. If we truly get right with God, the fullness of God will abide in us. God abides where he is obeyed and his presence makes all the difference. When God shows up, things start happening. Now I want to close by saying this. There's an application in all this, not just on a personal level, but on the church level. When a local body of believers, a church, is obedient to do what God has called it to do, which as we said is to go and make disciples, 
God's presence will abide in that church, among that group of people. And when God shows up, as we've said, things start happening. I had an old pastor tell me one time that, he said, Josh, I've seen a particular scenario happen in churches over and over again. And that's this. When a given church makes a commitment to truly be obedient to the Great Commission, when it gets serious about getting outside its walls and making an effort to reach lostness, it is then that God blesses the church and it grows and it prospers. And I'll always remember, he said, this is the thing that stuck with me. He said, the funny thing is, oftentimes, whatever outreach it is that you're doing, you'll often come away from that saying, that didn't seem to reach anybody. No one responded to the gospel. No one responded to our invitation to visit church. That didn't do any good at all. But then he continued, because God is faithful and because he blesses obedience, he'll begin to add to the church and add to his kingdom people that you never visited, people that you never talked to. He said, it's funny how often that will happen. But the point, again, is when we obey, God shows up. And when God shows up, things happen. Selmore Baptist, may we be people of obedience. If we are, God will be with us and he will do great things among us. Do you believe that? I believe that. Next week, we'll see that God encourages the people as they move forward in obedience. That's what we'll look at next Sunday. I'd like us to bow our heads at this time and let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts now for a time of response. Father, thank you for this time this morning that we have had in your word. Thank you, Lord, for this simple truth that we have learned today, that you abide where you are obeyed, as we see in the story of the Israelites and the rebuilding of the temple. God, help us as individuals to be people of obedience, to be people of holiness. And God, not just as individuals, but help us collectively as a church family, be a church that obeys you. And Lord, we know if we will obey you, that you will bless us with your presence and your power. And Lord, we desperately need that. We plead for that on our lives and upon the life of this church. Lord, may you have your way now and your will in this time of response. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.